0: All right. Good morning, Redemption. Hey, we are going to be in Ephesians 5, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. Our ushers would love to bring one to you. Uh, my name is Josh Butler. I'm a newer pastor here, and as a newer pastor, a-, a part of my hazing process was being given the passage to preach wives submit to your husbands. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's favorite verse. This is This is a very popular verse in our culture. I know many people who've come to faith through, I just heard it, Jesus, I'm in, you know, so. Uh, (laughs) No, all that said, if you have any trouble with anything I say today, you can totally email me, ricardostewart at redemptionaz.com, please. Awesome. Uh, No, but in all seriousness, this is a verse that at times has been uh, misused. It can carry uh, a lot of emotional and spiritual weight for some of us with the experience we come from. We're going to talk about some of that uh, as we get into it today. Um, But big picture, I believe when we zoom out, this is really beautiful. It's about both husbands and wives, and ultimately it's about Christ and the church. It's about the gospel and God's heartbeat for us and our world. So the title for the sermon this morning is Built to Build, the idea being that God has built us to build up one another. He's given each of us unique strengths and giftings and abilities to build up one another, both in the world but also uniquely in marriage. As husband and wives, we have been built to build up one another with the strength and the gifting that God has given. So would you turn to your neighbor and say, you were built to build. <laughs> All right. Now, if we zoom out here to the big picture, uh, we see that Paul's driving big picture is Christ and the church. He wants to ground everything that he says in the bigger kind of cosmic scope of God's plan of salvation in Christ and the church. So husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. He laid down his life for her. He nourishes and cherishes and cares for his people. And then he says, uh, wives submit to Christ as the church submits to Christ. And uh, it's actually lifting up and uh, loving and exalting Christ our our Lord. And so there's this picture here that Christ and the church is the real thing that marriage is designed to point to. Christ and church is the reality that marriage is designed to point to. That Jesus and and the church is the reality, uh, but marriage is like a sign, a pointer, a lens, a window, something that we're supposed to look through to get a glimpse of who God is in his heart for our world. And so if Jesus and the church is the reality, what I want to train us this morning in is how to spot a fake. And here's what I mean by that. I, I travel internationally a lot over the years, um, and as I travel, I love to visit kind of the marketplace, you know, the, 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 the market area, and often what you find in a lot of countries is a lot of knockoff products. And so, here is an example of some kind of products I've seen before. Right? Laughter <laughs> You got, you got the unky shoes, the kooji bag, uh, the crust toothpaste. And it's often not just that the names are misspelled or the products, but even the stores can be off, right? Uh, so you've got <laughs> Sunbuck's Coffee and Microsoft Bimbos and 512, right? <laughs> and it can change not only the name, but even the meaning so unbelievable! This is not butter, right? Like, 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 like. And at times, it changes not only the meaning; it can actually change the product itself. And so we have face food, right? <laughs> Restaurant. Okay. But now the point is that if you you would never know that these were knockoffs if you had never seen the real thing, right? Like, you would, if you had never ha- sported a pair of Nike shoes, the unki, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that anything was wrong, right? Just like, oh, that's what they are. Uh, but the reality is the best way to know how to spot a fake is to get to know the real thing. And what Paul is saying here is that Christ in the church is the real thing. It is the prototype that marriage was designed to reflect and display. The reality is it's not like God was like, all right, I'm going to make human marriage, and, oh, that's kind of cool. I think that's going okay. Maybe I'll do that for my son, right? That wasn't an afterthought. No, the starting point was God going, hey, my end game for human history, for creation, for this whole deal is my union with my people. It's this plan of salvation of God and his church, Christ and the church at the center of Jesus' reconciliation of the world. And God's going, I want to embed and implant from the very beginning in the human story, I want to implant an icon, a symbol, a signpost, a window, a lens, something that we could look through and get a glimpse of that greater reality. And marriage is a signpost to the greater reality of the salvation that's coming for the world. Now, if we want to... so Now, the reality is I think... Unfortunately, many of us have never seen the real thing, right? Maybe many of us, all we've seen are knockoffs, knockoff product. And so when we start to talk about marriage, the reality is that many of us have grown up in homes where what we saw in our parents' marriages, you know, there there could have been abuse or abandonment. We could have seen dysfunctional relationships, an unhealthy environment. And it's not saying that those were fake marriages or not real. They, They were. They were a real union, but it's going, they weren't living up to the intended design of the maker, right? Like they were not accurately reflecting to the fullest possible extent uh, the, the, the prototype that they were meant to display. And so some of us, I think, are walking around with like our inky shoes, right? This vision of marriage that we just think is normal. And Paul's going, if we want to get to the heart of what marriage is supposed to be about, we got to start, our starting point needs to be grounded in Christ and the church, right? All right, well, as we, we go there, um, when we look at, at this, uh, I think the, the reality where many, you and I, many of us are coming from this morning, I, I want to start just kind of the, the hunger for us that, many of us, we need the prototype. Would you tell the person next to you, we need the prototype? There we go. All right, we need <laughs> the prototype, salvation, Christ in the church. And as we look at that, I want to start first with husbands and then uh, move to the section on wives. Talking about husbands, I think one of the things that we see in Christ in the church is that strength is to serve. Strength is to serve. The purpose of strength is to serve. Christ, who had all strength and power and authority and all that, like he used his strength to lay down his life and to lift up us as his people. And in the ancient world, this was Revolutionary. Because you can actually go, you know, today I think it's the, the Paul, we all live in a culture, we all live in a cultural environment, right? And the gospel is going to offend some of our cultural sensibilities at, at, at some point for everyone. And for us today, it, it gets to the, the, the section on uh, with women. But in that day, it was the section, uh, not with wives, but with husbands that would have been revolutionary and counterintuitive and, whoa, Paul, what did you say, Right. Because in the ancient world, they had these household codes that were common. You can read them in Aristotle and all over the place. And it would use strikingly similar language, except this piece of like, dude, the husband is supposed to lay down his life and serve. Love, his wife, right? So the ancient conception of like the head and the body, uh, the head could have been like uh, often like military or political kind of authority or leadership. And so Caesar is the head of the Roman Empire, the general is the head of his battalions. And the idea is that was that the body sacrifices for the head, and the body loves the head, right? And so you think the body sacrifices for the head. The logic was like, man, if you're in battle, like, get the general. He's got to be the first to flee the field and be protected because everything's riding on him being safe. And so the idea was like, dude, the body, you can, you can lose your leg and be okay, but if you get decapitated, if your head's gone, you're done, Right? And so the idea was the body is supposed to sacrifice for the head. And the gospel flips this on its head. This a somersault, just thought of it. Is like some, right. flips the head on its head and says headship is actually to lay down one's life and to serve and to lift up and to use your strength to serve. Aristotle actually said... Um, uh, the ancient idea, you know, that it's the powerful, it, it's the part of a ruler not to be loved, or it's the part of a ruler to be loved, not to love, or else to love in another way. You know, as the ruler's role is to receive affection and love, whatever, and the gospel flips us, on, flips us on the head and go, no. The, the ruler of all creation laid down his life and, and love, and that's the prototype that marriage is supposed to display. And the reality is we may not have that sociological context today, Uh, But we still have a similar biological context, right? Because the reality is that men are stronger than women. Uh, Men are stronger. We're going to look first here at some ways that men are stronger than women. We're going to look later at ways that women are stronger than men, right? But if we're just talking about physical strength, generally speaking, uh, men are stronger than women. Uh, There are exceptions to this, right? Like Jillian Michaels could probably kick Pee Wee Herman's tail, right? Like... Sure, Serena Williams could probably knock out Napoleon Dynamite, you know? Like, so, uh, we're, we're not saying universally for every individual, uh, but generally speaking, men are taller than women, men are stronger than women on average in general. And when we think about the, the, the weight of that strength, like men have 33 to 40 percent, um, so let me make sure I don't mess up the stats here, I'm <laughs> going to speak, um, yeah, 33 to 40 percent more muscle mass in our upper body. Uh, men have broader shoulders, uh, greater bone density, wider waist, larger hands and feet. If we were to line up the families uh, for like family dedications, maybe something like that, you know, you can just kind of visually see uh, like men have men are stronger generally. And the question arises: How do we use that strength? How do we use that strength? I think there are two temptations that are very common today. Uh, one is abuse. And another is abandonment. Right? And so when we think of abuse, uh, it is using one's strength, contrary and counter to the gospel. Domestic violence. Uh, the stats are that one in four women have experienced domestic violence. In the U.S., 20,000 calls are made a day, the domestic violence hotline. Uh, think of sexual assault. One in six women has been sexually assaulted, like either rape or attempted rape, as compared to one in about 71 men. And it would be naive to think that that's just out there and not here in our churches and in, in, in us, our life as a congregation as well. And one of the things I really want to say, is that if this is you, if you're in this spot, I want you to know that our top priority is for your safety, to see you get out, or to be able to get safe and protected. And uh, I have an acquaintance back home, and we got to know each other, and she has permanent brain damage. And as I got to know her story better, it's because years ago, before I knew her, before she was at our church, she had been at another church where there was a pattern of abuse, and she had gone to the uh, pastor for help and had just been counseled with verses like, like, just just submit, just keep going back, just submit. And that is tragedy. It's tragic. And I want you to know, if if you're in shoes like that today, like, that is not our posture. That is not our desire. Our desire is to see you safe, to see you cared for, to see you... We actually have out in the back, um, there's uh, these cards that has the local domestic violence hotline number on it. Me, Ricardo, others, we, we, we want to be here, and our top priority is that you and your family are safe and, and working with police and counselors and, uh, and whatever resources we need to help get you the support you need. Okay, so if abuse is one distortion, that's one corruption of the prototype, one kind of knockoff product, uh, another is abandonment. And we think of Christ, he, he's faithful, he's present, he's with us. And the reality today is that uh, one in three U.S. children live without their father. Um, and around the world globally, we find that men are much more significantly, drastically more likely than a woman to walk out on their family. And there are a variety of reasons for this probably, but the reality that we're left with is that this violates the picture of the gospel in the heart of God. And I would suggest here that it's more than just physical strength that we're talking about. Yeah, it's kind of a good starting point, that, you know, to recognize the physical strength that's there. But I think it speaks to also a deeper kind of there is a weight that a husband and a father's presence brings in the life of a family. And the weight of the absence when it's gone. Right? Uh, as I've counseled uh, many people over the years, uh, pastoral counseling, you know, uh, I find like father wounds, are often some of the deepest and most cutting. And it's not to say that moms can't hurt too. Uh, Many have, uh, you know, struggles or a history with their mom. Uh, But anecdotally, in my experience, there seems to be something about the wounds of a father, where there's been abuse or abandonment or neglect, whatever it's been that just seems to uh, carry a weight at a more significant level. There is a weight, not only that absence, but to God's desire for our presence. In our marriages and our family and the gospel challenge i think for us as as husbands those of us who are husbands in this room is that god has given you strength to serve to lay down your life and serve your marriage your family and there's something beautiful i believe that when we see this in action uh, one of my favorite shows is this is us do we have any this is us fans in the room all right yes all right cool you know, and at first I felt really cheesy, you know, or corny, because I'd be sitting watching, and then these tears would start coming up in, and i like, no, I can't let my kids see that. Like, oh yeah, that's fine. You guys can cry. But anyway, like, but I have this theory on why This Is Us is so popular. Uh, you know, like, it's won all these awards, really phenomenal show, uh, but I think it feels like the first time in a while seeing a mainstream show depiction uh, with a father figure who's strong. And who uses his strength to love and serve his family. Jack is like this picture where I, I grew up and it was like Al Bundy and Homer Simpson, right? Because, you know, like, and today Ed O'Neill maybe still doing it in Modern Family, you know, there's just kind of a picture of like the husband is sort of the doofus, kind of doesn't know what he's doing, he's kind of apathetic, just sitting back and like not concerned, or like not, whatever. And There's this counter picture that feels like a much more gospel picture of a father who uses his strength and the weight of his presence to serve, to be with his kids, to lift up his wife, to care for his family. And when we see that in action, we're drawn to it. There's something in us, and I think it's because we're drawn to it as like a lens or a window into the heart of the gospel, Christ's posture towards us. I think uh, Jesus's challenge for us as men would be, uh, don't abuse your strength, use your strength. Right? Like, don't ignore your power, but make core your power and use it to serve your family. It's been given by God in order to do that. You don't need to try and become uh, the head or become strong. Like, he doesn't say uh, you need to become the head. He says you are the head, right? Like, you don't need to go make some head. Just sit into what God's already given, whatever your gifts, your strength, your and, and be present with and for your marriage and your family Something powerful when that happens all right well as we prepare to talk now about uh, the, the wives section of this passage um, I want to talk for a sec here about both though because there's 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 a common thing I've seen over the years where uh, in a lot of pastoral counseling with premarital counseling right we do premarital counseling and first week we will often go hey what Tell me about your parents' marriages growing up. What did you see? Celebrate the good, but are there things you want to see different? One of the most common themes, uh, over half the time it feels like that people say, like, something that they would critique they want to do different is some version of dad was apathetic and mom was a nag. Dad was apathetic mom was a nag. And I would suggest to you there is something in there that is like an inversion of our calling, an inversion of our calling. Uh, when we think about apathetic on the dad's part, there, there can be like, okay, abuse or abandonment on the one side, or like, okay, I'm not going to leave, but I'm just going to kind of, you can be there and not really be there, you know? You can be around and not really be present. And I think that's a, another temptation. Uh, but there can be this vicious cycle also with a, a husband and a wife on the wife side of things. And there's actually a study I was reading, if you think about that, you know, mom was a nag, uh, there's actually some studies behind that dynamic the uh, massive national study on fatherlessness and why do dads leave? And and one of the things that they noted was that um, the key weakness is not the father's bond to the child, it's the parent's bond with each other. And part of the backdrop, you know, so we often do premarital counseling, I kind of think we need to maybe heavy up more on like pre-child counseling. dude, you get married, oh, we're in love, the honeymoon, everything's great, and then kids come along, whoa, pressure cooker goes up, right? (laughs) And they were saying, yeah, like, often what happens is uh, the father and the mother, like, they're in love, they're together, the dad has this idealistic picture, and it's not like, oh, you're pregnant, I'm gone, there's a sense of, like, oh, I'm excited, this is gonna be good, Uh, but then with motherhood comes kind of the rigors of motherhood and the, you're buried in the rigors of motherhood. Uh, the women, meanwhile, take a very practical view of what they need in a man. Will this guy provide the financial stability I need? If not, can I trade up to someone who will? And the critiques under the pressure and stress of raising a family can start to come. And then the father, they know it, begins to perceive uh, the mother as bossy, just another authority figure to be skirted, run-ins, at least run-ins with drugs, the law, other women. And by the time a child is one, half these couples have split up, and many of the rest will part ways soon after and I think there's this, you know, so there can be this vicious cycle where men can maybe be more prone to check out, and uh, wives, husbands can be more prone to check out, and wives can be more prone to kind of take over, and, and, and often in words to kind of critique or control, and the guy, you can think like, oh, guys, yeah, you, you, you want to be in charge. Most guys, it's like really intimidating, right? And there can be a lot of insecurities. Most guys feel like, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm male in, not me- measuring up, I feel Insecure about my hey, how good I'm doing. And I th- I think there's something powerful in a wife's ability to lift up her husband and to speak into and affirm in the midst of those insecurities. So I want to kind of talk now about for this this next is what I call the power of praise. The power of praise. And what I mean by that is uh, for wives, in this passage, I, I would suggest how do we use our words? Uh, it's not to say there's not a good t- time and place for critique, but is our default posture, is the default posture affirmation or is it critique? Is it to critique our control or is it to build up and lift up with our words? As we look at this picture again, the prototype of Christ in the church, it's not only that he uses his strength to serve, but that the church uh, loves and lifts up and uh, praises Christ. And that, that doesn't mean that wives should be worshiping their husbands like an idol, right? Uh, but it does mean that there's something powerful when we express our affection, uh, our trust, our belief in, "Dad, yeah, I believe in you. You got this. You're a good dad. I loved it when I saw you do this. I, I, man, I, I, I I'm, I'm proud. I'm proud of you. There's a power, praise. And I think this, <clears throat> speaks into this whole question. What does Paul mean when he says wives submit? your husbands. Uh, First, a few things it doesn't mean. He's not saying all women submit to all men, right? The context here is not just generic gender. The context is marriage, husbands and wives together. Uh, Second, he's not saying submit to domestic violence or abuse, right? We've already talked about that, but I want to reiterate it because it's important. That's not what he's saying. And third, he's also not saying uh, you just got to do everything they say, and you have no voice, and you know, like, he's not saying you're a doormat. He also tells uh, the Roman Church, uh, the Church in Rome, in Romans 13, similar language to submit to the government, governing authorities. But simultaneously, they're not like they're not doing that in certain ways, right? The Roman government wants them to stop worshiping Jesus and bow down to the pagan idols at the temple, and to you know, and, and is saying, "Hey, church, stop doing this." And the church is going, "Hey, our first, we submit to God before all else. As wives, to our first, as wives, husbands." As people who follow Jesus, our first submission is to God. And when any human authority contradicts with that, we serve God first, right? And so, Paul's not uh, giving a blanket statement that way. Uh, But what he is saying, I think, you know, it's also not saying, hey, give up, right? Because when we hear the phrase give up, or we hear the phrase submit, I tend to think of like when I'm in seventh grade and the bullies got me in the headlock, I'm like, submit, submit, I'm like, no, no. (laughs) fine, I give up, I tap out, I submit, you know, right, like, <laughs> the English language doesn't help us there, we tend to think of, like, I give up, but I think a better image is one, think of, like, when you submit a paper to your teacher, you submit uh, something to someone, you, you you give it, you bring it, you hand it in, and I think the picture here is more one, take the gifts, the strengths, the unique way that God has designed and made and wired you, and and bring that to bear, it's not, like, I give up, I'm back, it's, it's more of a proactive posture of giving oneself to the other. To Also use your strengths to lift up and build up the other. Because the reality is that women are stronger than men. i about some ways that men are stronger than women. There are also other ways that women are stronger than men uh, that play in here, I think. Just throw out, to throw out a few um, Generally speaking, women are stronger at men at be, than men at being more resilient. So you find this around the world that uh, testosterone actually lowers immune, your immune system. And so globally, uh, from, from birth, from a young age, uh, girls survive the early years better. In developing countries, being male, is seen to be the single largest risk factor for early death. That girls are 1.7 times more likely to survive a premature birth internationally. Uh, more resistant to disease and infection and things and not only when young so there's, there's kind of men may have like a brute physical strength but from a young age girls also have kind of this deeper internal resilience strength and even in old age that uh, women outlive men, live longer by an average of about 5 years 83 years versus 78 for men so there's a resilience uh, women are stronger than men at not being stupid right? <laughs> <laughs> If you think, if you think of things like violence, like uh, men kill other men thirty to forty times more often than women kill other women through history, right? If you think of things like scandals, just start to think. If I say the word scandal, what kind of scenarios come to mind? And people, how many of those are men versus how many are women, right? Uh, Men are more willing or likely to risk, uh, you know, their family, their career, their jeopardy on the stupid affair, the dumb financial, whatever the thing is. Um there yeah, enough said <laughs> Women are statistically much better at turn taking versus line cutting, right, cutting a line from early age all right but there's there's two strengths I want to focus on here that I think are most pertinent to this conversation uh language and empathy, language and empathy all right, so uh women statistically are stronger uh with language, and part of this has to do with uh the the science behind it actually they, they found like. Uh, that girls girls and women use the left and the right hemispheres of their brain for language. They have stronger connections between the two, uh, whereas men it's mostly just the left side of the brain. And what this means globally, this is why girls do surpassingly better than boys in like reading and writing from a young age. Um, They found that testosterone uh, slows brain development in speech and social skills, uh, though it can boost other areas like spatial... Uh, problem solving, seeing images rotating in your head in 3D, visual, things like that. Um, and this is why dyslexia and, and a number of learning uh, problems like that are more common in boys and in girls, much more common, is that uh, if if you're a girl and the left side, if there's some damage, you can use the right side. If you're a guy, it's kind of, it's all you got, right? <laughs> and, <laughs> so. Uh, Susan Pinker, one research she puts this way: she says statistically, across cultures and across time, girls speak earlier, talk faster, use more words, generate longer, longer sentences, and make fewer mistakes. Amen. <laughs> All, right. All right, what this means? This doesn't mean that uh, women talk more than men. Um, uh, even see, like I've seen the co-ed conversations where guys and girls got like, guys can dominate and like want to, I don't know, assertive, aggressive, whatever. Uh, take over. But what it does mean is that women tend to be more verbal processors and men on average. And we're talking about averages, generally, but men tend to be more internal processors. Right? And how this can play out in marriage and in a relationship, um, well, let me just run this scenario by you and see if this fits. Right? Typical fight, have you seen this? Where, um, you know, there's a fight, starts to escalate, gets a little more heated, and uh, and she's just like, what are you thinking? And I, I don't know what I'm thinking right now. Well, just tell me what's going on in your head. Like, I, I'm not sure. I just need some space. Like, no, you don't. I'm following you. <laughs> no, I'm going to the other room. <laughs> Fine. I'm getting in the car and I'm leaving, right? <laughs> like they've found that that's, that's a common relational dynamic in marriages. And uh, one of the roots uh, with a, a dynamic like that is that uh, for women, like verbally processing, you can think and feel and talk about it all at the same time. Uh, the way men's brains works, it's often like you need to uh, take one thing at a time. I, men often need to think it through before they're ready to talk it through, In right? uh, fact, actually men can take seven times longer for their brains to kind of process complex, um, seven hours longer to process complex emotive data, right? And so one of the things that my wife and I use with this is the phrase sleep on it. I think I say, I was like... I just need to sleep. It's not because I don't care. It's not because I'm trying to check out. It's just because I need some time to kind of process. And then when we come back the next day, there's often a lot more clarity. But Paul says, hey, wives respect your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Wives respect your husbands. And often what they found is men in those kind of fights, statistically, most often men say they, they feel like my wife doesn't respect me. Like she's not giving me the space I need to kind of process through. I feel badgered. I feel nagged. I feel controlled, right? So I think... There's something practical here, of being able to use that language skill to actually go, okay, I'm gonna actually have space for my husband right now to process. Uh, s- another strength, the second one is empathy. Uh, women are statistically better at distinguishing emotions on other people's faces. I find this all the time with my wife. We'll come out of a conversation and she'll be like, oh man, Jim was sad, or Sherry's kind of angry about something, you know, and, and I'm like oblivious, like what, and you know? <laughs> and a week later, sure enough, she called it, right? Uh, but they found like this starts at a young age as well. Babies uh, from birth, like baby girls tend to look more at faces and pay more attention, get locked in faces. Where boys tend to look more and get fixated on mechanical objects like toys and trucks and things. Um, as they grow to becoming toddlers, uh, girl toddlers will much more quickly uh, ask like, "Hey, what's wrong?" and show f- facial signs of sympathy, uh, whereas um, not so much the case with boys. <laughs> Uh, and they've found, actually, that boys, the more testosterone that they've been exposed to in utero, the less eye contact they make uh, at one year, one years old, right? So there's some distinctions here, and sometimes this has been called, like, the people versus things distinction, that um, uh, men and women are both good at both, but there can be a tendency, generally, an average preference where uh, women can uh, lean more into, like, want, desire to work with people and to empathize and things that help support, and guys can want to master systems and spatial analysis how to, how to how to make this thing work. And what does this mean for marriage? Well, again, throw out a classic fight, you know, or example, see if this, this fits. Communication styles, uh, men tend to kind of lean towards, hey, let's get this done. Right? Women tend to lean towards, is everyone being included? Men tend to ask more like, hey, is this true? Uh, women tend to lean more to, hey, tell me your story, right? right? And so if you think of that, that classic fight, see if, the, you know, anyone's if anyone's experienced this maybe I'm the only one but um it just feels like you're not empathizing with me right and uh (laughs) and (laughs) (laughs) I'm listening to you I just want to fix it like you told me what the problem was I just want to fix it like yeah but I'm I just need you to listen right now and not to whatever you know well you shared your thing I just want to tell you what I what I I think is true right I I may be the only one who's ever experienced that, that kind of fight right but there can be this tendency in communication uh, in marriage, and I think one of the challenges is that it can be hard to have empathy sometimes for the very person that you're closest to. So as we look at what does this mean for us today, and we kind of come back to that, the power of praise, it's just how do we, uh, for, it's for both wives and husbands, but particularly for wives, because it's can be an area that can be, can be harder sometimes, or, are we using words as our default posture to affirm or to critique or control? Right. Like I think if guys, it's like your strength is to serve and the temptation is to abuse or abandon. i sometimes for uh, ladies, it's like uh, the words are to affirm and to build up and lift up and the temptation can be to critique or control. It's kind of a default posture. And here I think we see the power of respect. Paul says, wives, I respect your husbands. Uh, why I think this is actually significant for husbands. Uh, they did a national survey with over 7,000 men and asked the question, uh, would you rather feel alone and unloved in the world, like Desert Island, everybody hates you or something, you know, or inadequate and disrespected? And when they give this question to what women thought, their husbands or the guys think, oh, of course, alone and unloved. unloved. Uh, but we're shocked to find that three out of four men said I'd rather feel alone and unloved than inadequate and disrespected. That actually, that that need, that hunger for respect was even higher. Second question they asked, in the middle of a conflict with your wife's significant other, uh, you're more, are you more likely to be feeling that your wife or significant other doesn't respect you right now or doesn't love you right now? And uh, 80% said that she doesn't respect me right now. Right? And so I think there is this ancient wisdom as Paul says, hey, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. Um, He's not saying, obviously he's not saying like wives don't also love your husbands, right? Like Jesus gave the command, love your neighbor as yourself, that's your closest neighbor, love also. Uh, And similarly, I think the flip side is going, he's not saying husbands don't respect your wives, they'll only love them, right? No, it's both. But I think he's speaking to the temptation that generally speaking, we can lean towards avoiding and not doing well, right? So this is maybe a generalization but I find there's something true in it that often uh, the question that wives women can be asking is um, does he love me and as men often the question the deep question be like does she trust me and I think there's something powerful when we build each other up with the strengths we've been given. Husbands when we use our strength to serve, wives when we use our words to affirm and to build up. There are times that I have made some big mistakes, that I've messed things up, whatever, and I cannot tell you how powerful it's been. One of the most powerful things is when my wife comes, even in my weakest moment, says, I believe in you. I trust you. When I hear from someone the next day, hey, Holly told me that you did this thing for her with the kids, I'm like, "Ah, oh, she's talking about it. Like, she actually, she, she's using her words to affirm me. Like, there's just something that I think lights us up all right. Well, as we wrap up, I think the invitation that God is inviting us to this morning, both husbands and wives, uh, and all of us, but is that we were built to build. We are built to build each other up. Your strength that you've been given is to serve, that your words are given to affirm, to lift up, to build up. And for some of us this morning, I think the invitation would be, well, She's not doing her piece, so I'm not gonna do mine, or he's not doing his, so I'm not gonna do mine. Jesus would invite us this morning, be the first to break the cycle. Like he, when we were opposed to him, when we were against him, like he 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 made the first move to cross the line and come towards us. Jesus is inviting us this morning to come towards one another, to lay our lives down, to build one another up. It's this picture of the gospel. When we think of Christ and the church, I think it's powerful to come to that, you know, that women are often asking, does he loved me, and guys like this trust me, that maps onto his relationship of Christ and the church. That Christ loved the church. And the signpost of the church is that we trust, we believe in, we have faith, we have confidence in Christ. I think we're invited in our marriages, and if you're single this morning too, I know a lot of us have been out of marriage, but it's for all of us. right? Like We were built to build one another up, and you don't have to have the signpost to have the reality. You don't need to be married to have Jesus and life with him as his bride. And that's the better thing that this has all been pointing to all along anyway. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have built us to build up one another. God, in general, in the life of the church and the world, uh, but in a particular unique and powerful way in marriage. God, I pray for those this morning who, um, God, any, any of us that are bringing in wounds, ways that we've experienced a knockoff and and the distortions in this thing have hurt us, God. I I pray, God, that we could bring those before you this morning, maybe at the prayer doors, God, uh, maybe journaling this afternoon, maybe whatever that is, God, that we could uh, bring our wounds to you and experience in you our prototype, God, that you would be our true healing. And God, I pray for any who are experiencing conviction right now of just ways that um, we may not have been living into the fullness of the design that that, that you 've had for us, God, that we would lay down, and He saying, God that we would uh, we would seek to lay down our own agendas, even to build up one another in our marriages and our church God and Jesus, i I thank you, God that you' have created a diverse body with wildly different unique personalities and giftings God I thank you for the strong women and the men who are good with words and all the, the whole mix of us God uh, God I thank you that um, the goal here is not to stereotype and link it people God, but rather to affirm the bigness of this picture that you've given of Christ in the church and that we could use what you've get built, the way use God the ways you've built us to build up one another for your glory. Amen.